Amen. Thank you. Okay. Thanks. Um, so, as we've mentioned, we're into this second of our mini-series on Ezekiel, and we're looking at the message of renewal. Now, Ezekiel, uh, as one of the major prophets, that's not because he was more important, it's just that Ezekiel is one of the longer prophets, longer books in the pro- in prophets, prophet books, uh, as opposed to the minor, the shorter ones. In fact, Ezekiel is the third longest book in the Old Testament. Now, the prophets had a tough role in life. They had to constantly speak truth to power. They spoke to rulers and to the whole of God's people about the ways that they had fallen short of God's laws. And they reminded them of the consequences if they didn't repent. It was a pretty tough job description. But intertwined with the dire warnings, there were messages of hope as to how God was going to restore his people. And often their prophecies were multifaceted, speaking to the immediate future, as with the exile in Babylon and the return to Jerusalem, and then the further future of a new Jerusalem and a new creation. The prophets had a big message, and they had to do the most random things to communicate. So Isaiah, for example, walked around naked for three years. Ezekiel had to land his side for a year and eat food cooked over animal excrement. You know, maybe I should think outside the box for my visual aids in the future. <laughs> so today we find ourselves with Ezekiel in exile with God's people in Babylon. Jerusalem, Jerusalem had fallen. The temple had been destroyed. Had all hope gone? Last week, we heard from Will as how God had promised to give his people a new heart and put his spirit within them. And next week, we'll hear about Ezekiel's vision of dry bones coming to life as God breathes his spirit on them. There is hope in these passages. So let's read together. Ezekiel 37. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, Take a stick of wood and write on it, belonging to Judah and all the Israelites associated with him. And then take another stick of wood and write on it, belonging to Joseph, that is, Ephraim, and all the Israelites associated with him. And join these sticks together in your hands, and they will become one. And when your people ask you, well, Won't you tell us what you mean by this? Say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. I am going to take the stick of Joseph, which is in Ephraim's hand, and of the Israelite tribes associated with him, and join it to Judah's stick. And I will make them into a single stick of wood, and they will become one in my hand. Hold before their eyes the sticks that you have written on, and say to them, This is what the Lord says. I will take the Israelites out of the nations where they have gone. I will gather them from all around and bring them back into their own land. I will make them one nation in the land on the mountains of Israel. There will be one king over all of them, and there will never again be two two nations 
or divided into two kingdoms. They will not defile themselves with their idols and vile images or with any of their offenses. For I will save them from their sinful backsliding and I will cleanse them. They will be my people and I will be their God. Now, just a quick word about these sticks. They represent the two kingdoms. After the death of Solomon, David's son, uh, a civil war broke out in Israel amongst the Israelites as his son, Solomon's son, Rehoboam, fought Jeroboam, one of the generals, for the throne. And in the end, Rehoboam took the southern half of the country, called it Judah, and uh, Jeroboam, with ten tribes of Israel, took the northern half of, and retained the name Israel. The kingdom was divided. And sadly, both Israel and Judah fell into captivity, or, although at different times and to different powers. Israel fell to the Assyrians in 724 BC, and Judah was captured by Babylon around 580 BC. And while the Babylonian captivity of Judah only lasted for 70 years, Israel never fully came out of the Assyrian captivity. And in fact, on the surface level, this part of the prophecy never did come to pass. The ten tribes were lost. There was no joining together. So we can understand why the people at the time said, what? Won't you tell us what this means? It would be like saying, now, this is the UK and this is the USA. What's done is done. There is no bringing back together. The northern kingdom had been wiped out. Ten tribes had disappeared. The people of God in Babylon were bewildered and broken. Not only did they look back on a nation that had been divided and dispersed, but they were in exile. They were no longer in the promised land. Jerusalem had fallen, the temple had been destroyed. Had God abandoned them? And isn't that us sometimes? Don't we feel like that? God, where are you? This isn't what I'd understood following you to be like. I look at the chaos in the world and I find it hard to catch a glimpse of you. I don't really understand. But to us, as to these broken people in exile, God speaks words of promise and hope. God had not forgotten his scattered people, and God has not forgotten us. Let's read further. My servant David will be king over them, and they will have one shepherd. They will follow my laws and be careful to keep my decrees. They will live in the land I gave to my servant Jacob, the land where your ancestors lived. They and their children and their children's children will live there forever. And and David, my servant, will be their prince forever. I will make a covenant of peace with them. It will be an everlasting peace, an everlasting covenant. I will establish them and increase their numbers. I will put my sanctuary amongst them forever. My dwelling place will be with them. 
I will be their God and they will be my people. The nations will know that I, the Lord, make Israel holy when my sanctuary is amongst them forever. Did you see those promises? I will gather them. They will be my people. I will be their God. I will make a covenant of peace with them. I will put my sanctuary amongst them forever. Ten times in these verses, uh, through Ezekiel, God says, I will. And these are promises with no strings attached, no conditions. I will. And he has. Through the person of Jesus, God has gathered us. He has come amongst us. He has given us a king. In our Alpha group a couple of weeks ago, we were looking at the fact there are hundreds of prophecies in the Old Testament uh, about Jesus. And, And here in Ezekiel, we see some. The reference to my servant David. Well, David is long gone. This is the new David, the new king, the shepherd king. There's an everlasting covenant of peace. God says, I will put my dwelling place among them. My sanctuary will be amongst them. And at Christmas, we celebrated Emmanuel, Christ with us. Christ who took up humanity and moved into the neighborhood. Jesus, the shepherd king. It's Jesus who takes what is divided and separated from God and brings them together on the cross. He restores relationships, creates the new covenant, promises everlasting peace. These promises prophesied by Ezekiel came to pass in the coming of Jesus, and yet there is still more to come. God hasn't completed all he intends. And we find ourselves in a place where there is not yet peace in the world. There is not unity and things do seem to be falling apart. God has established his kingdom and we are part of it. We embody it. Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is complete, but not all have received it. We live in the now and the not yet. In the between the time of Jesus' first coming and his second. And there will be a time when the lamb will lie down with the, with the wolf and where all creation will be restored. And the whole of the earth will be covered with the glory of God as the waters covers the sea. But for now, we live with brokenness and pain. And that's why our hearts yearn for reconciliation and peace in the water, war-torn areas of the world. And we wrestle in prayer for these situations. Our hearts break with the news of lives lost in tragic earthquakes. We mourn for the destruction of the environment and we long for a renewing of all that is lost and damaged. And so we partner with God who set up his dwelling place amongst us. We become bearers of God's message of hope and peace. We are ambassadors for the kingdom of reconciliation. This kingdom where relationships are healed, where hatred is overcome by love, partners reunited, children welcomed home.
But this takes our commitment, it takes our longing, it's an effort, and it takes the work of the Spirit. In the New Testament, one of Jesus' apprentices, Paul, wrote to the church of Ephesus, a bustling cosmopolitan city in the ancient world, where the new community of followers of Jesus had been established. And this community unified people across the dividing lines, people from different traditions, different cultures, different political views. And Paul writes that through Jesus, the two groups of Jews and Gentiles had been made one, reconciled and given the message of peace. But of course, there are always frictions. So in Ephesians, he writes to them, Ephesians 4 verse 3, make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. This message is as per pertinent to us today as it was then. Make every effort to seek unity and peace. And at times, it really is an effort. How do we live this out in our church, in our families, in our workplaces? A few years ago, I was prompted to, to lay down some grievances that I'd been carrying for quite a long time. Um, my then boss had caused a lot of hurt and upset to a lot of people uh, that I work with, a lot of my colleagues, including me. Uh, and I had for a long time carried this anger, righteous anger, of course it was righteous anger, um, but it wasn't doing me any good. And I was running on the, the downs during, during lockdown, and not once, several times, I was prompted that I needed to lay down this grievance and I needed to forgive. It's actually, it's not for me to forgive, she's wronged me. But I, I was really convicted by this, so I, I bought her some flowers. I didn't actually say to her, I forgive you, but it was just a gesture of laying something down and, and drawing a line. And, and for me, it was a massive burden lifted off me. When she left, um, I was able to thank her for all that she had done for the school. Um, and she wept. There had been reconciliation, there was no animosity, and we parted on good terms. What about building bridges within the body of Christ? I wonder what that looks like. How may we need to reach out to Christians who hold different views so that we can really listen and have meaningful conversations? And that might be Christians from different denominations, how quickly we judge what we're not familiar with. But it could also be within our own church family. What about those who, had, who held different views on, say, worship styles, leadership styles, certain people in, in a position of ministry? It's okay to disagree. God calls us to live in unity, not in uniformity. How well do we manage difference? God calls us to be a community that loves and forgives when others don't live up to our expectation. 
a community that listens to others' stories and joys and hurts, and that's where small groups are so important. A community that seeks to live out the hope that we have of a God living amongst us. But this call to renewal is, is, and peace is not simply a well-being program so that we might have more harmonious church services, but it's that all may be reconciled to one another and with God. So where is God calling us to be the reconciler? or to bring renewal? How will the Spirit's work in us bring God's healing to a broken and hurting world? The, lit the liturgy of peace in, in a church service is a powerful reminder of the reconciliation, that reconciliation with God and reconciliation with other people go hand in hand. We can't have one without the other. Often the sharing of peace is before a communion, uh, and Jesus tells us to make peace with one another before we bring our gifts to the altar, that is, before we take communion together. And these words are often spoken. Christ is our peace. He has reconciled us to God in one body, and through the cross, we meet in his name, and we share his peace. I'd like to read those words again. And perhaps in your mind's eye, you can picture someone, maybe a, a member of your family, maybe a work colleague, or a member of our church community, you're walking towards them with your hand outstretched, offering that first step of reconciliation. Christ is our peace. He has reconciled us to God. In one body, and by his cross, we meet in his name and we share his peace. Peace of the Lord be always with you. The God who has come to dwell with us and call us his people is in the business of restoring what is broken, of bringing peace, hope, and renewal. Lord, start with me. Amen.